Hey, this is Pastor Jesse of City Lights Church, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you and confirms the fact that the kingdom of God is a present reality in our lives that you get to live out. You get to be God's ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. That's exciting news. We also hope that our messages challenge your identity to help you understand who you really are in Christ. I hope that you're blessed by this message today. But no, I'm excited for this morning. Um, we're going to walk into a new series today. And once again, this thing seems to be prophetic. Um, ben and I try to plan out um, pretty far in advance what we're going to be teaching through, what we feel like the Lord's going to lead us through in this next year. And uh, we knew that we were walking through the Glory series, which we just finished. And we had two different options scheduled for right now. And up until um, a few weeks ago, um, we weren't sure. And actually, um, Sarah had texted me something about the armor of God. And I, th- I said, that's funny because Ben and I are talking. Is that something we should look at? Um, what, is that, what does that mean for the church? And praying through it, um, Ben and I could not land any of the other two options. Um, we argued and fist fought. I'm kidding, we didn't do that. And so um, we're coming out of looking at, we are in the glory of God. We are made for the glory of God. We, pre- we declare the glory of God, that he is a good, good father. And he deserves all of our praise and all of our glory. Does that sound right? Make sense? Anybody agree with that? All right, just making sure you're here and we're Christians, so just check it. Um, but out of that, um, we have a response and we have a, we have, um, life's not all glory. And what I mean by that is not all these, these moments where we're just like, yes, God is great and beautiful. As Melissa's testimony reveals, like there is a real enemy who wants to kill, steal, and destroy. That makes sense? And so what does it look like as we behold the glory of God, as we pursue, as we declare, what does it look like for Christians to respond in the midst of opposition? Um, and so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. But before I get into the text a little bit more, I want you to do something for me. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to imagine that you are in the throne room of heaven. The throne room of heaven. And I want you to think about where are you? What are you doing? What does it look like? How, how do you feel in this moment? Because we see it in Scripture that the throne room of heaven is a real place. It's a real experience for us. I just want you to think about that for just a second. Okay, we'll come back to that. How many of you have ever been in a fist fight before? Just curious. Or a fight. A fight. Like, Jesse, where are you going? Just bear with me. I'm jumping here, and we'll come back to that. Um, Fights don't always go the way we think they'll go, right? I was a passive kid, but I was also a big kid, so people assumed I could fight. And I, in my life, have been in two fights, um, and they were pretty terrible. Um, They don't go the way you think. So my friend Mark that I grew up with, he was trained uh, in karate. He was a black belt but he was half my size. And so Mark would always want to fight me. He would work up these good ideas of a good physical fight with me. And we were friends. And the problem is that Mark, in his mind, knew the karate moves. I knew how to sit on him really well um, and just crush him with my mass. So the fights didn't quite work out the way either of us thought they would because I'm like, I'm bigger than you. I will destroy you. And then he gets some kind of snake hold around my head and I'm choking. Or before he could get to that place, I would just crush him, right? So the fights never worked out the way they thought. Another time I was 13 years old and the best friend of my neighbor, 
Uh, his name was Matt. He came over to play, and I have no idea what happened, but I do remember us fighting. And I'm thinking I'm going to crush Matt because I'm way bigger than him. And what it ended up being is me grabbing his arm to pull him in to punch him and us just spinning in circles because he was trying to run away. And so we literally just spun in circles in my front yard until my mom intervened. The fight didn't go the way I thought it would go, right? And, and I would say in a similar way, we think we know what fighting spiritually looks like and how we're going to do it, but I think we have a lot of misconceptions of how our spiritual warfare takes place and how we actually win a fight, this fight with, in the spiritual realm. Make sense? You guys tracking with me? We, we think we understand what it means. We tend to think that, I, I've found that there's kind of two polar opposite sides of spiritual warfare that exist out there. There's this side that really thinks it's kind of all make-believe, that there really isn't a spiritual fight, that angels, demons, and spiritual things are kind of just like mumbo-jumbo. And so what we fight is just like, this is just life, this is the problems of life, this is just the way it is, this is just how I feel, this is, this is just how things are going, and there's no angels, demons, or spiritual warfare. Make sense? There's that side. And then there's the other side, which I kind of grew up in, where like everything was the devil, and like my mom was walking around rebuking everything in the name of Jesus all the time. Like one of her most common phrases is, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Like everything. I'm like, Mom, your soda spilled. Don't need to rebuke that, okay? You guys know what I'm talking about. Like there's two different sides of spiritual warfare. Like we just turn everything into a demon that we got to fight and contend with and we're just screaming it out and yelling the name of Jesus and we're pleading the blood over everything and we got the bottles of anointing oil just wailing around in the, in the sky. Like there's that side and then there's the side that says, yeah, these things aren't really real. It's kind of all make-believe. You guys know what I'm talking about. How, how many of you experience one or the other kind of growing up or maybe you are in one or the other, you know? Like, everything is the devil or nothing exists. And, and we, that's not really the reality, what we see in Scripture. We have a very different perspective that Paul writes for us of what spiritual warfare looks like. Okay? You guys with me? God has redeemed us by his blood to know and experience his glory. And Scripture tells us that there is a real enemy who wants to stop that. The enemy does not want you to experience the goodness of God. He has come to kill, steal, steal and destroy. Right? Jesus says, though, that I have come that you may have life and have life more abundantly. So there really is these two different sides of what God and what the enemy wants for you and I. And there's a way that we understand this war that's taking place. We understand who's victorious and we understand how to partner in this thing. You guys still go with me? Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to read here. I would encourage you this week, this month, to just spend some time in the book of Ephesians. There's so much good in this. There's so much that will change your life the more you read it, the more you process it. But we're going to jump in. And over these next few weeks, we're going to, we're going to focus in this chapter and this passage of verses. And this morning, I'm going to introduce us to this series. This series called Stand Firm. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. We're going to stop there. Over these next few weeks, we're excited. We're going to look through the rest of this chapter a little bit. This is the ending of Paul's book to the church in Ephesus. All right? This is his final thoughts to them. What we see throughout this is that he tells them who they are in Christ. He reminds them of unity in Christ. And then he gives them this warning that the enemy wants to destroy them. And this is how they stand firm. Right? This is how they engage in spiritual warfare. The first thing I want to point out to you this morning is that we put on the armor of God. Now think about that for a second. We put on the armor of God. I don't put on the armor of Jesse. Martin doesn't put on the armor of Martin. Like if I, Martin said he liked my sweater this morning. Well, this is Jesse's sweater, right? This is not Martin's sweater. This is Jesse's sweater. I don't put on the armor of Jesse, though. I put on the armor of God. Spiritually, the way I fight is not by my own armor, my own abilities, my own strengths, my own talents. I put on God's armor. That's the thing that God's surrounded by. His armor. Make sense? I stand firm. Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Everything here is Paul telling the church, you stand in the Lord, you are strong in his might, you put on his armor. It's him, 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 not you. (laughs) You just put it on. You just get in it. You just get in him. This is going back to what we talked about the other week, abiding in Christ. When we abide in Christ, we have much fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we can't fight any battle. All right? Makes sense. It's in him. The only way that we fight is to simply stand in him and what he has done. It's not how hard you can scream or what magical prayer you can find in some kind of prayer book or what kind of holy water you can get together to throw at the walls. It's his armor. And what you'll see in the rest of this passage, his armor is truth, it's righteousness, it's peace, it's faith, it's salvation, it's the spirit, it's the word, it's prayer. Those are him, 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 him. Make sense? These are all things that he's given. So we stand, we fight our battles, not in anything we can do or anything we can say, but simply standing surrounded in who he is and what he has given to us. It's all him. It's it's how we fight our battles. Psalms, the psalmist says in, in chapter 35, Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of the shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and the javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. David, King David knew that his salvation wasn't in his armies. It was in the armies of God. This is before he got to abide in Christ, right? This is before salvation through Christ. David recognized that his strength, his armor, was not his. It was God's. How much more should we, in in Christ, know that our battle, our spiritual battle, the fight over our life right now has nothing to do with what we can say or what we can accomplish or how hard we can pray, has everything to do with knowing whose we are and abiding in him, putting on his armor so, so that we can... Withstand the schemes of the devil. This, the schemes of the devil means he's 
scheming for you. He's trying to set traps. The word that we see ruler here, you guys still with me this morning? Is this all right? Is this a little too aggressive this morning? I, don't, I feel like some of you guys are scared right now. I'm talking about supernatural fighting, whatever that means, right? But against the rulers, it says we don't fight against flesh and blood. So our fight's not with people. But against the rulers, what, what does that mean? Well, the word ruler is the word archaic. Have you ever heard the term archaic? It's actually really defined as that which comes first, either in time or rank of authority. We see this word a lot, and it always has to do with a sense of primacy. Like, either in time, like it's the beginning, or in authority, such as it's the strongest. And what we see here, I was actually listening to a message uh, by Chris Valentin from Bethlehem. He was talking about this term. And really what we see is there's a supernatural, there's a principality, there's a ruler, right? The arche, which is trying to rob us of a sense that God is the origin, God is the creator, God is first in sovereignty and in rule. And what it does is it gets into our minds. It begins to speak like, that's not the way I created things. This is the way things should be. Or... I didn't create you in my image. I created you as a failure. Or, or God's not really sovereign over the situa- situation. This is sovereign over your situation. Cancer, poverty, brokenness, those are the things that are sovereign over the situation. Paul warns the church in Ephesus, there are archaic, there are rulers that want to go back and rob God of his original rule and reign in your life, in your heart and in your mind. This battle that we fight is here. It's here. Christ has already accomplished a work for you. He's already saved you and he's, given you, he's adopted you as sons. He's, he's made you heirs, co-heirs with Christ, right? And so what the enemy does, is, it's not flesh and blood. My fights, my struggles aren't in the physical, but they become physical because the enemy, the spiritual, has begun to change the way that I think and I begin to believe lies. It changes the order of how things are. It wrecks the origin of what I believe God to be and what he has said. Does it make sense? Chris Valentin says, it's a, it's a spirit that questions the origin of God's nature and creation. It force, it's a force to disrupt what God has declared true. God has declared truths over you And spiritual warfare is when we stop listening to the truth he's declared and begin to listen to these rulers, these principalities, these arches, right? That change the order of things and how we believe. So spiritual fights, I think, really happen in two different forms um, with us. I'm not saying you might not see demons. I know people who have seen demons. I, I know people have had those angelical kind of encounters. I'm not saying that's not true. But I would say the, the most normal way that we have spiritual warfare is to, through two different avenues. One is through things like depression, anxiety, fear, panic attacks, lies, self-doubt, insecurities, all those things. The enemy wants to rob us of hope and joy. And what I'm not saying is that that there's no such thing as chemical imbalances. I'm not saying that. I worked six years in the mental health field, okay? I'm not saying that there's not biological things that happen. But I would say most often there's a spiritual thing that's happening. And even if what you're walking through is a chemical reaction, God did not give you or assign to you that chemical reaction. 
He is the giver of all good things. He came that you might have life. The enemy has come to rob you of life. So if any of those things, anxiety, depression, panic attacks, irrational fears, sleeplessness, are things that you're struggling with, then you're in a spiritual warfare. And if it's chemical, you're still in a spiritual warfare. Because God did not assign that to you. Some of you guys are angry at me right now. Some of you guys are stoked, so it's okay. In general, I'm pretty optimistic. I believe God's words are true. And, and I know who I am. And sometimes I struggle with doubt, but not too often. But, but I would say for me, I've experienced not so much the anxiety part of spiritual warfare. I've experienced where the enemy tries to get into the physical part of things and give sickness and disease. Let me, let me give you two stories. So Jared was the founding pastor of this church. And four years ago, he uh, moved to Buffalo um, following the call of God there. And I was established as the lead pastor here at City Lights. And I was pretty amped. I was a little scared, but I was really amped. I was excited. I had some things in my mind of what I wanted to accomplish, what I wanted to go after. And I remember Jared's last week here, we got a phone call from some friends of ours in the city who were pastors. And they said, hey, you guys believe in healing. Come pray with us for this guy um, who has cancer. And so Jared and I go to his house, and he's given, this this was in uh, the end of summer, beginning of fall. And we go to this house, and we're told that he probably will make it to around Christmas time. And we go, and we pray, and we declare God's truth over him. We declare healing over him, and we're just excited. And then we come home, and uh, Jared and Aaron move that day. And that night, actually, my wife and I, so this is the end of August, my wife and I decide to go out for um, an anniversary dinner, because it's our anniversary, and we're kind of celebrating life, and we're kind of sad that Jared and them are leaving, and all of a sudden, in the middle of our anniversary dinner at Olive Garden, I begin to get sick, like shaking, physically sick, freezing cold, sweating at the same time. I think I'm just getting a flu, right? Or it's the Olive Garden food. I don't know. Ben would say it's the Olive Garden food. My kids love it. Anyway, so I go home, and my wife has to go out of town uh, anyway, so she takes the kids that, that next morning, and I'm in the chair sick and feverish, and I end up for 18 days to sum up the story, I end up being incredibly sick. I lost 20 pounds, and I went to the hospital three different times during that period. The doctors could never figure out what it was. And during that time, I'm in this constant spiritual battle. My wife's away for a week, and I'm just wrestling. And the moments I would begin to feel down about myself and my current existence of fatigue and nausea and all that issues and being really bummed because I'm like, I wanted to start off being the lead pastor with energy, and here I am sick in bed for a couple, for 18 days. Like, this is not the way I planned on leading the church, right? This is not what I wanted to do. And I'm really sick, and I began to, like, just, God kept reminding me of this guy suffering with cancer. And I just began to intercede for him and not for myself. I just began to focus on him and the fact that, you know, I, I'm just sick. I don't know what this is, but he's got cancer. And he's supposed to last till Christmas, and I'm just declaring healing. Then on the 18th day, I, I feel really sick, and then all of a sudden like that, I felt it go. Like, just like that, and I knew I was fine. I literally knew it's gone. And I find out the next day that that guy died that same day. That was a spiritual thing. No doctor could explain it. It was there, then it was gone. Like, and that guy was here, and he was gone. And I don't understand it, but I knew that the enemy was trying to do something in here, and I was contending for something else. Make sense? There was a spiritual thing happening. 
when we began to uh, plant the church, we started an event called I Heart Scranton, where we wanted a week long of blessing the city with like a carnival and with serving the city with meals and, and feeding people and helping the elderly. We had all these awesome things planned. My wife had worked for months planning this event. The day of the event, my daughter, who was probably about three or four at the time, begins to break out in this crazy rash all over her body that caused incredible pain and was moving, literally moving. Like the rashes were moving around on her body. Bizarre looking. We took her to the doctors, and my wife took her to the doctors, and the doctors like, we have no idea what this is. And she came home, and I'm ticked because the doctors who are supposed to fix things aren't fixing this, so I'm like, I'm going to take her to the doctors. So the next day, I take her to the doctors, right? And my wife, I'm at home. I'm supposed to be helping with our church outreach, our first major church outreach. I'm supposed to be helping. Instead, I'm with my sick child with a mystery rash that's moving around her body. It doesn't make sense, right? And I'm like, I'm going to take her to the doctors. They will figure this out. I go to the doctors, and they're like, Jesse, we don't know what this is. We have no clue. That thing lasted during the event, and then it was gone. The moment that we're supposed to be on mission, the enemy wanted to rob my family of joy, of hope, and the gospel proclamation. Like, you can't tell, like, that's only one of many stories like that where the enemy has attacked my family in key moments with physical sickness that don't make sense, right? And I'm not saying this to scare you to think, oh, if I start following the will of God, God's, the enemy's going to attack me with sickness. That's not what I'm saying. I'm still alive. My daughters were up here worshiping this morning, singing one of their favorite songs, Bless the Lord. I love watching my daughters worship. I was standing beside Faith, who at 18 days old got a mystery sickness. They tried to do spinal taps on her three different times, could not figure out what was wrong, why she had such a crazy high fever, 18 days old. I thought I was going to lose my daughter. That was when we planted the church. Like, and she's standing with me worship. I'm saying that God is victorious. There's a spiritual warfare that takes place, and it's usually up here or in our physical bodies. But I have to protect myself and my family with the armor of God, not the armor of Jesse, not the ability of doctors, not the wisdom of man, but of the armor of God. I know whose I am. Does it make sense? You guys still with me this morning? Is it okay? See, the enemy thinks that he can kill you. He wants to kill you, but you are in Christ. So I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you that he wants you to believe death, but you need to believe life. You need to remind yourself of whose you are. He wants you to move towards the death. Demons in the spiritual world will not come into your life with a name tag saying, hey, this is a present darkness. Flee from me. Protect yourself. We won't do that. It'll come at you through very rational fears and physical things. The, the enemy will not come at you with a name tag. He will not identify, hey, this is a work of the devil. Be strong in the Lord. It's not going to happen that way. Does that make sense? It'll come out of nowhere through ways that you don't fully expect. And this is not a scare message, because I'm going to get to the good part here in the end, okay? You guys ready for the good part soon? Like, uh, Jesse, save me right now. I'm dying. Spiritual warfare takes place in, mostly internally, but it affects the external. It, it affects the way we lead our family, the way we interact with people around us. Often when somebody's got a problem with you, it's because there's something happening internally, right? 
Most of our conflicts are a spiritual thing first and then become a physical people thing later. Most, most of our self-destruction is an internal spiritual conflict that's taking place first. Chris Valentin says, angels and demons travel at the speed of thought. That's, that's, it's a warfare of the mind. What we need, though, is to be abiding in the Prince of Peace and to declare over ourselves what he has declared over us. When you think accusation and defeat, that is not the reborn you. That is not the you hidden in Christ. That is not your identity in Christ. That's the voice of the accuser. Scripture calls him the accuser of the brethren. We are the brethren. Or sister, and if that's a word, I don't know. We are the, the, the brethren, and he is the accuser of us. And then we begin to believe accusations about ourselves. If we keep focusing on his accusation, what happens is we either build that as our identity and what, what he says, or we slowly die. L- let me explain to this. Nobody naturally wants to die. Suicide is not a natural thought. I mean, you see it throughout all of nature. Everything wants to self-preserve, correct? And it's only when we believe that there is no hope, that we are worthless, that life is meaningless, which are all lies of the enemy, then we decide, I would rather die. I would rather not be here. Do you guys understand what I'm saying here? This is serious life and death stuff that Paul wants the church to know as, they, as he closes his letter. Spiritual warfare, like this is, this is a real thing. Nobody wants to die. Not truly. But when we don't believe the words of God that he spoke on us, then we turn to that hopeless solution. Christ came so that we would have life. We would have life abundantly. We would have the peace that surpasses all understanding that we would have hope, constant hope, that we would live in love, we would abide in him, right? Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, I could start earlier in this chapter. I would encourage you, just read the book of Ephesians this week. It's, it's six chapters, it's not that long. Um, you can do it, I know you can. But we're going to read starting in verse 15. Right before this, he talks about us being predestined according to the purpose of of him who works all things according to his will. It talks about us being sons and daughters. It's beautiful. But verse 15, for this reason, and we're going to read a little bit here, so I just want you to go with me. should be on the screen, or you can take your Bible in front of you and keep it if you want. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what are the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that, w- that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Does that sound familiar? Can we just talk about rules and powers and authorities and dominions? Far above all those, Christ is seated there, right? Far above all those things 
and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. See, it says we were once in those spirits, right? We were once there. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not the result of works, so that no one will boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'll stop there, but the rest of the chapter just gets better and better. Paul starts off this book, and he finishes it with what we were just talking about. The armor of God, right? But he starts off this book by grounding them in truth in the reality that they are adopted sons and daughters of God through Christ. And now at the end of the book, he brings them to an awareness that the enemy will try to get them to believe a different reality. That he will try to remove hope. He says, you were once alienated, you were once separated, you were once children of wrath, you were once under those dark things, but now you are what? Where are we at? We are seated with him in heavenly places. Do you, do you remember, where's Christ at now? The right hand of the Father. I asked you at the beginning to imagine heaven. Where were you in that picture? You probably weren't thinking of yourself, here's God on his throne, here is Christ at the right hand, and I'm sitting on Christ's lap. I'm sitting on Christ's throne. I am seated with him in heavenly places. It doesn't say that I'm off in the corner groveling somewhere, just thankful that I made it. It says that I am currently, we now, Paul says to them in Ephesus a long time ago, which is still us now, that we are seated with him in heavenly places. And we are above all those other rulers and authorities. We are seated with one who has the name above all names. I was talking to Will about this, and he's like, I just pictured his daddy putting me on his lap. <laughs> this, is, this is Jesus sitting us with him. So, like, I don't know where you are, but I'm seated on the throne. I don't know how we all fit, but we do. Right? And this doesn't negate what Revelation chapter 7 says, that when we all celebrate at the end, we are before him, millions and millions, multitudes, uncountable, worshiping him. We're worshiping him before his throne because we're thankful for what he's done. But currently, you and I are seated with him on his throne. Take your eschatology Stick it in a junk drawer somewhere else. You are seated with him in heavenly places. 
That's your reality. And the enemy, the, the, the spiritual warfare that we face is a constant thing in here saying, you're worthless, you're a failure, God doesn't love you, he's forsaken you. Oh yeah, here's this sickness, here's this disease. Watch what I do to your kids, watch what I do to your family. Okay, here's anxiety, here's depression, here's sleepless nights, here's all those things that'll fight in here to get you to believe a different reality, a reality, a different origin, a different arcade. Does it make sense? This is a fight for what is happening in here. This is not you with some kind of anointing oil slaying demons. This is a fight in here, renewing of the mind, remembering what he has declared over you. So this is why we, what do we take up? I'll read it real quick, and I'm sorry I'm kind of ruining the next few weeks for you. It's a mystery, what we're going to preach on, but you can read it on your own. The whole armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness for your feet, the readiness of the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. That's awesome. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. These are all things that he's given you. And the enemy wants you to forget those things. You have truth. You have righteousness. You have the helmet of salvation. You have the sword of the spirit. You have the word of God. You have the gospel of peace. Surround yourself in this. You guys okay with me this morning? Worship team, would you come forward? In Ephesians chapter 1, when we went back there, he set the stage for us. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It ends with us doing good works that he's planned out for us. This is not defeat or retreat. This is moving forward. This is being ambassadors of the kingdom of God, doing the good things that he's called us to do. This is not some weird struggle. This is simply doing what he's called us to do and knowing that we are his, that he loves us and he's called us and he's given us purpose. Back in chapter 6, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. There are seasons of your life. There are moments, there are evil days where you're not really moving forward. You're not really slaying any spiritual dragons. What you're called to do is to stand firm. We are a believing body. We are the ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven that are moving forward, that we are taking areas for the kingdom of God. We are displaying it with our good works. But there are days or seasons in your life where God's not called you to go after some kind of warfare or advance the kingdom. He simply asks you, stand firm. In the day of evil, stand. I love that it says, having done all to stand firm. The very next verse, stand therefore. <laughs> in case you didn't get it, he wants you to stand. Stand in his armor and his truth, and what he has declared, and what he has accomplished. I love the song. We'll probably sing it next week or some week here soon. This is how I fight my battles. Like We don't fight our battles with like some kind of weird weaponry and mysticism. We fight our battles by standing in him and just worshiping the King of Kings, by knowing that we are his, that we are seated with him. Does that make sense? It's a different type of fight. The, this fight, the spiritual fight, is not what you think it is. It's simply standing in him, walking in truth, living in truth, declaring truth. That's all it is.
We were not saved by grace to live a life of retreat. Chris Valentin said this as well. He says, fear is faith in something other than God. If you're walking in fear, living in fear and anxiety, it's because your faith is not in what he has declared. It's not in the armor of God. It's not in what he has spoken over you. It's in something other than him and his promises to you. Fear is faith in something other than God. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes that we take every thought captive, every speculation, every thought. There's something happening inside of here. There's a warfare that happens in this place. And, and we in Christ are to take those thoughts captive and hand them over to the King of Kings. Let the peace that surpasses all understanding, let the peace of Christ, Colossians says, rule and reign in our hearts. Isn't that good? There's a warfare, but it's really, it's in here. It's spiritual, but it's in here. We stand firm in Christ. You win your battles by picking up truth, reminding yourself of the reality that he has already declared over you. That is what Christ has accomplished for you. This morning, I want to I do something as we worship. I want to, if our prayer team could go over there in the cafe and um, be ready. We're going to worship for a few minutes, but I want to encourage you, if you struggle with anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, fear, sleepless nights, terrible dreams, nightmares, those kind of things, I want you to go and get prayer today because we believe in God who delivers and sets the captives free. If you're physically sick in your body, we want to pray for healing as well. If you're seeing demons or spiritual things, we want to pray for that as well. We believe in a God who has fought our battles for us and he wants to declare freedom over us right now. Does that make sense? We're going to worship and I want to encourage you, don't miss this moment. Like, don't let your social anxieties rule. <laughs> don't let your fear of man's opinion rule in this moment. If you've got any of those things we talked about, anxieties or fear or suicidal thoughts or depression or, or physical Ill illness, go to them as we worship. Thank you.